0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for
1: listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. What
0: I wanted to talk about today was um, a subject that I've been thinking about for 30 or 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) not too long my first meditation teacher liked to say uh, practice on and off the cushion So there's maybe your meditation practice your mindfulness practice your dharma studies practice she'd say 50% is self effort and 50% is grace and in order to have grace You have to have self-effort and I've been contemplating that for a long time. What is self-effort and what is grace? Mm -hmm. So I'll start just by, um, asking a question and I hope you'll participate and share a little bit on this is, um, in terms of self-effort, the intentions, and the effort you bring to your practice, whether it's a sitting practice formally on the cushion, or a mindfulness practice that's going on through daily life, or Dharma studies, knowing, wanting to understand the teachings of Buddhist philosophy? Do you feel that your effort is where you want it to be? Do you feel that you're setting intentions and meeting them? Or is there some desire or wish for it to be different? And if so, what would you like to be doing? Is there a goal or an aim? So, so who would like to share on that? Anybody want to offer what's going on in terms of effort, self-effort for you?
2: Yes. So, I think
1: when I think about goal, I think you know that I definitely meditate every day. Um, the reality is, I don't definitely meditate every day. <laughs>
3: um,
1: and so when I when I think about that though, I also think that part of my practice is to accept that and to try to come from a place of self-compassion and non-judgmental. Because then if I'm just beating myself, up, you didn't meditate yesterday. Mm you know then that's not helpful either so i work to be in a place of acceptance but still exerting the effort you know so like not to be bad at myself what i didn't do to take advantage of when i
4: can or will do it
0: so, so.
3: anybody else yes um i uh have uh, thought for a while about uh, the guidance that says, uh, pick a time and use that time for your meditation, like you do when you wake up, or, or maybe you do before you are uh, going to bed. And that doesn't work for my life, so I have allowed something different, and I guess my self effort is allowing me to understand that that is right for my life. So maybe this is new information for my head when we bring the subject up. But I know that something inside me will say, you have time now. You have time between clients. You have time before dinner. You have time after the walk. After you nap, that's a good time. So, so these uh, encouragements from inside are maybe that's self-evident. Mm-hmm.
0: So we've heard some interesting things already to contemplate. One is that self-effort can't be laden with judgment and criticism and pushing like a negative internal voice, you know, like that inner Nazi to say, you know, Mm -hmm. you must sit now (laughs) or you're bad, right? You don't. that doesn't work. And that the other that self-effort can be really a, a journey and arriving at a place, and not a um, "I must sit now" or "I must do this practice now." You know, without a schedule, but that by deep listening, self effort emerges. So, two very good pieces of information already on self effort. Right. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, um,
1: the learning part's not a challenge for me. I love the reading and the learning and the that could just take over easily for me. Mm -hmm. But I think that, especially in the last couple weeks, being out of town and challenges with my family and father, I really realized in some emotional points, I was using self-effort to apply what I'm learning to, for example, emotional situation of just, take a breath, you're okay, Mm -hmm. you're safe. You know, and just doing some of that, even to the basic I was driving once and I was crying too hard to be driving mm-hmm. feel your seat on the car seat you're breathing feel your hands on the wheel just kind of, kind of and it just breaks up that but it took effort you know it, I had to really what should I do I get it okay just hmm. so I think the effort in the daily practice has been evident, it's
0: effort it's good to notice when you're making that effort because it reinforces your effort And sometimes we don't notice our effort. We're not seeing that we're making that effort. So it's good to notice that, notice, and reflect on it. Because what we reflect on, we get more of. Anybody else about your practice and self-effort?
5: I was going to share. Yes. So Mm -hmm. um, I I don't always feel that my intention and my self-effort are meeting right now. My energy is pulled a lot by three little people. And when I get to a point where the space is there, I often feel like, I don't feel like I can do that right now. Um, But as you mentioned, when I make a different choice, I often find it's not fulfilling me right now. The way that I expected giving myself that treat of whatever treat it is, and the self-effort is emerging whether I'm choosing it or not. Which I'm thinking to myself, why can't it be easier? And then I realized, you know what, it actually is. It's, it's happening even when I'm not choosing it. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
0: So another good point is even when we're making an effort, we may not get the outcome that we want. And that's where the faith comes in in practice. The faith to practice. When we don't get the expected effort. Because sometimes uh, you're practicing, whether it's a mindfulness practice in daily life or sitting on the cushion, and it's like, oh, I made all this effort, and, uh, right? Just, uh, uh, and that's just the ebb and flow of practice. But if we have that faith and the energy, Um, in the long run things start to change and shift and we know that from long-time practitioners there wouldn't be long-time practitioners if there wasn't um, some reason to keep on practicing to keep on going so just because we have the effort does not mean we'll have the outcome right and we have to have that faith there anyone else about yes
4: um, I I realized like for um, early in my meditation it was more much more structured right and I was a lot more judgmental and you know and I had to sit on the cushion I had to time it and do all this, this um, kind of stuff and um, and I have a voice that says I should be doing that now but I'm I'm not I have kind of switched over to a loving kindness meditation and I have my coffee and I sit in my comfortable chair. And I do a lot of loving kindness on myself. And then, then sometimes a general one, right, to everybody mm-hmm. else, depending mm-hmm. on how much, how much time I have. And, um, you know, there's a, it's almost an indulgence mm-hmm. for me. And, um, and the, the faith part is that it's meaningful, right, that I may not see anything come from it but it feels good,
0: and I believe that it has an impact. Right. So by practicing the loving kindness, anybody else start with practicing loving kindness when you're sitting? It's a, something to really experiment with and work with and do throughout the day. Um, what we're accessing is really loving presence. It's a loving present presence that can really support your practice in your life. And it's one way to feel the nurturance of your practice to get through life. So uh, even with deep concentration practices in Buddhism, it's recommended that we start with loving kindness to ourselves and to others another good exercise to start um is but what what we're hearing a lot the theme in the room is uh western minds can be critical judgmental and evaluative and that's the very thing we seek to silence to shut down uh and and it can be an obstacle for a practice so uh we're also talking about working with how to soften and loosen and relax that tendency. Really calm it down. So one practice is um, I'd like you to just close your eyes for a moment. A very brief exercise and brief practice and I'd like you to call up a time where you felt your heart open, explode. This heart opening experience, maybe you were in nature, maybe you were with a loved one, child, a baby, a pet, maybe you were at a concert, you were listening to fabulous music, looking at flowers, or animals, I think you can call that up. And if you can, allow this image. See if you can place that image in your heart, in your body, and get a felt sense of what it's like to feel that love. Just notice what happens. you can slowly open your eyes just a little drop in, a little dip in. Tell a couple of people, what was that like for you and what did what came to mind? Yeah
3: I kind of recall the sense memory like the goosebumps and the sensations of the event. I
0: like we live that. That's my okay, Great. Anybody
5: else? I yeah, a, I had a meeting this week with um, my boss in an education field and I talked about wanting to teach about vulnerability and it was extremely well received and it was a beautiful exchange. And, yeah. <coughs>
1: Um, sounds silly, but anybody who knows me knows I adore my daughter. She's 22. She's my life. So, um, (laughs) she went up to Seattle and met her like four month old niece for the first time. And, um, she sent me a picture. She was laying in bed. She'd spent the night and hadn't seen the baby the night before. And she was laying in bed that morning and they brought the baby to her. And there's this picture of her just beaming, looking at this little baby, and the baby just looking at her and smiling. And as I imagined that, literally, my, I was breathing deeper and broader, and I smiled, and I kind of teared up behind my lids. And it's just just a beautiful picture of just pure, just pure joy, love. That's very nice.
0: So, so when the heart connects with something, when it deeply, deeply connects you'll notice the mind stops chattering and evaluating. And you're one with it. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you're appreciating it with a full heart, and sometimes you're really one with it. And I would imagine, I'm going to pick on Bruce a little, because I know he's our resident musician. When you're really experiencing great music, very often the mind, the heart, the body is one with it. You're just so in it. You're not separate from it. And we call this a non dual experience, a, a dropping into oneness, dropping our separateness. Dropping our separateness. So when my teacher talks about self effort versus grace, right? Self effort is I bring my heart and quiet it down a bit and give this opportunity. And grace is something drops open. And I'm no longer separate. I can contact the heart. And both are necessary for practice. Both need to come and play. And the Buddha talked about it uh, in um, right intention. It's what drives our action, what shapes our life. There needs to be that intention practice I intend to practice and maybe sometimes I intend to practice in a specific way or I'm open to practice flowing and emerging through my life but there we need to make space for it the way you walk in here on a Sunday morning when you could stay in your pajamas you know you're making space for it Um, so he talks about right intention as an act of deep reflection conscious choice Reflecting our deepest value and aspiration. And so we need to bring the body. I think it was a 12-step program where I heard the phrase, bring the body and the mind will follow. Well, here it's bring the body and the heart will follow. Bring your intention and the heart will follow. Uh, Back in the day, uh, on the path, it was very common to go to India to meditate. It still is today. And the sitting group that I was in, uh, people would work night and day to save up their pennies to get on a flight to India so that they could sit for a long period of time. And I, of course, did that too. Uh, not as long as I'd liked, but I still did it. And, uh, you know, you'd save every last dime you'd get on this long flight and, uh, self-effort, you get there and now it's hot as hot as hot and dry, <laughs> it's dusty, and back in that day in the 80s there was no phone, <laughs> you were, the only thing you had was telegram back to the west, mm. that was it, no phone, no cell phone, and uh, for me walking around in a sari and not my jeans, mm. you know, little things like that, living in a room with 30 people,
4: <laughs>
0: with two bathrooms and the bathroom was in the floor. You know, it wasn't a Western bathroom. Learning how to eat, sitting on the floor with your hand, I mean things like this, right? A schedule where you're up at 4 in the morning to practice and you're practicing all day and working at the ashram. Um, Just a very different lifestyle to say the least and uh, then not to talk about how you were going to have a bad stomach at some point to get used to all of the food and bacteria and going through that um so there was self-effort there self-effort to jump in the game and play it right to do it no matter what you thought and to get your mind out of the way your mind out of the way mind out of the way and um just enduring all that. And then at some point, and this grace takes over, this, this mystery, not just for me, but for others that you're sitting for hours on end and you're practicing day and night and there's an ease to sleeping in a room with 30 or 40 people <laughs> and waiting for the bathroom and uh, eating in the way that everyone else is eating. And um, there's a flow That happens and it becomes effortless the effort turns into effortlessness and uh, not just me everyone you know this was a very common experience so grace after the effort comes the grace we can't say when and we can't say how but a little self effort a little grace and so it's hard to define grace, because practice has paradox. It has a great mystery to it. Did you notice, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Did you notice there really is a mysterious piece, this unknown piece, that we, we kind of have to somehow hold and embrace. So what do we talk about when we say grace? Sometimes it's flow. <coughs> And I think you were referring to there's some kind of flow in your practice that if you're making time and you were talking about it, this flow begins. You remember. It's not your, a little intention to remember, and then you start remembering on your own. The remembering remembers you. Mm -hmm. A little bit of mystery, right? What made me remember? what made me remember to pause take a breath sense my body remember some of the buddha's words right be present to this moment what made me remember that no one knows that's grace right could say it's a little habit but when does the habit stick when does the habit become you and who's doing the habit the habit or you (laughs) and at some point there's a surrender and a letting go like I bought this plane ticket and I can't call anyone on the phone and my stomach really hurts (laughs) but I'm going to be here and practice I'm just going to let go I didn't even understand what the teacher said (laughs) and they're talking Hindi constantly and I don't know what's going on (laughs) but I'm going to practice I'm just going to be here. I'm going to give myself to this. I'm surrendering to what it is. So that surrendering and that flow, that mystery is such an important piece because we know that practice can be very tight, as you were referring to. right? If you're sitting down with expectation and criticism and judgment and evaluating... It's painful, and a lot of us sat that way in the Buddhist tradition for years. We were real caught in the rules. And uh, we've had to learn to let go and relax and to soften. Sayadaw Tejaniya says, relax. Do not practice so seriously, but peacefully and respectfully. And we were doing a retreat, Elsie and I, and I was telling everyone to practice, not with an A, but with a C (laughs) minus. She kept looking at me like, are you crazy? But, But knowing Western minds, if you want an A in meditation, you're gonna get an A in suffering, right? That's the only A you're gonna get. The more striving, the tighter you are, the more suffering, right? The more that gets in the way so we want to relax and find that peaceful flow and there is a flow for all of us there is that flow there is that sweet spot and what i i'm hearing from a few of you is it's unique to you not everybody has the same practice and and not everybody has to have the same practice you just have to have a practice right so uh when we learn to stay in that flow to let go and to allow the practice we're bringing some self-effort and then we're bringing in this um, humility and we're allowing ourselves to become teachable through the experience uh, then things can really open up at the time So this is from uh ramana maharishi now i might have said his name wrong um he uh was a spiritual teacher in india in the late 1800s to about 1950 if anybody studied his teachings and words very popular um teacher that still uh, all around the world people still study and practice in his form he's called a non-dual teacher. Um, And people still go to where he practiced this mountain, Arunachala, and a lot has been written about this mountain because it's said that when you go to this mountain, you merge with it, you become one, you experience that non-dual self. And um, if you Google any of this, you'll see the plethora of teachings. This is a global teaching. So this is what he says, when you're not trying so hard, things open up. It's an irony. Be nothing, do nothing, and find the thunderous silence as your concepts dissolve. So there really is that paradox, make an effort and then do nothing. Let's see what he also said. When the mind subsides, grace rushes forth. And when grace brushes forth, this is not what he said, but I'm I'm gonna paraphrase that this ordinary self that we live in, this box of self, that's very fixated and problem solving and very much centered on what you're not enough about and what's going wrong in your life and how you're not enough and how you're not measuring up, that little internal chatter, Um, we wanna go into something Deeper than that, you know. We want to dive into something deeper, something sweeter. And that's when the mind subsides, the heart of being opens and lets go. And we relax into this dissolving and this potential of absolute peace. And there we can experience grace as true nature. Right? There's a grace right now. We're all breathing. And it's keeping us alive. Our body is pumping this oxygen. Our cells are being nourished. Our minds are thinking. We're getting air through our nostrils. Food is digesting. And I don't know how that's happening. I didn't authorize any of this. (laughs) Right? And this is happening all over the world with every living organism. And here we are, the oceans a few blocks away, that tide comes and ebbs and flows, and it's filled with sea creatures, Um, and uh, the trees, and everything is here to support us. This is a primordial intelligence, true nature, something beneath us, holding us up, and we can tap into its benevolence, the caring quality, and the love and nurturance of the fact that something is breathing us. Something is moving us. I move my hand. I don't know what's happening, but I know that my hand is moving. And so the grace of our practice, the self-effort, and then the grace, and then the allowing the beauty of true nature to come forward. And true nature, when the mind is still, true nature comes forward in many different facets and capacities. And you might be experiencing it. Sometimes it's love, support, strength, wisdom, kindness, compassion, understanding. There's many different facets, many different beautiful aspects to it. Um, And it arises as we need it. And some of you who have been practicing for a while know That there've been times where the wisdom of your practice has arisen in a troubled or difficult moment or a tight moment. You've just experienced something else happen. And you know it's from your practice. You know it's from the mindfulness practice and the, the awareness practice. So we get to drop in to who we are beyond this mind that has a lot of images about who we are. And to know that they're images and they're stories. Some of them are self-limiting, some of them are better. I like some of my grandiose stories myself. (laughs) Sometimes they're not too bad to have, right? But um, what we're learning is this ego relaxation, relaxing the stories to dive into the deep beauty of this being, of this beautiful nature of what sustains all of us and keeps us alive. So uh, I'll read something and then we'll do some sharing on this topic. So. Close your eyes and just consider this as a bedtime story. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to relate to this. Just allow the words to flow in and wherever you receive it, you receive it. It's a lovely lullaby. The important part of this practice and this experience is that we begin to see the delicate presence of loving light. It's not only inside her. I'm just gonna use her as a pronoun. It's all around. It's everywhere. Bathing, blessing, all manifestation. All forms look as if they're melted and surrendered, softened, released. Everything looks luminous, beautiful, and in some complete harmony. She recognizes that essence has now manifested in boundlessness as the presence of an oceanic love that is the same light, time, and consciousness. It's a conscious love, a loving light, the convergence of presence, light, love, in a soft, and delicate ocean that suffuses everything and cleanses it from all projections. All objects appear immersed in grace. All essential aspects manifest as a sweet substance. She may experience herself as the conscious sweet light, and in this state, she sees all phenomena without being any of them. She may witness her body sitting, walking, talking, but she is pure consciousness that is not the body. There are many variations on this state. One is to experience oneself as infinite and boundless sweet light that forms the ground of manifestation She becomes part of the ocean, a big drop of the ocean, and the drop is a dense liquid honey or amber nectar, as if the ocean of light liquefies as the location of a body, big, wonderful drop of grace. She feels and sees herself surrounded by grace. Her essence feels like an inseparable part of the ocean just taking a couple of breaths here this may not be your experience and you may be at this point saying what is she reading but something might have touched your heart there might be some deep knowing about some of the words that you've taken in that you've listened to because we're talking about the ground of being and the space of love and I think in Buddhist practice contemporary Buddhist practice and in the tradition that I teach in we emphasize right action wisdom equanimity ethics all very important right? and then we talk about no self emptiness but we need to celebrate and be sustained and held by boundless love, by compassion and that heart flowing, that this is sort of the qualities that help us manage life so that we can show up in the world and still feel that grace of our practice. So I'll end here So thank you for making the self effort to arrive and to come and to sit and may grace carry you throughout your days. So we have some time for inquiry practice And I'd like you to find a partner or two or three. And just reflect on how the talk has hit you today. It may be that you would like to bring more self-effort to your practice. It may be that you're experiencing this flow of grace and what it's like for you, how it shows up. Or see what shows up. So one of the things that you could do if you like is to um, set a goal or an aim. A goal is not a good word in the <laughs> I did not say that word. But to set an intention, let's say, and you can use your uh, meditation buddies here to tell or to text or to uh, work with of how you would like to, where you'd like to apply your self-effort. Um, what you would like to do in your practice. And, and don't be afraid of that. You, know, you don't have to be perfect with it, but it's setting an intention um, to intend to practice and stretching yourself a bit. Uh, not being afraid of that, going for it. So, so that's something you can do today or any other time. And I think um, two people in our Sangha that I know of, they call each other to meditate. So they can sit down and meditate and they, they put the phone down and they <laughs> meditate together. And I actually do that too with a friend at night because night meditation is hard for me. We call each other um, and then we just meditate and the phone sits there. And, it, and we always say, oh, that feels so good. And then we go, but why don't we do that more often? You know, it's the nature of the beast that we're dealing with in a busy world. Mm-hmm. So, so what did you um, talk about? Or what came up for you? Or what were your observations? It would be a nice time to just share with the group. Yeah. What came up is thank you. Thank mm-hmm.
1: you. thank you. It's timely, it was meaningful, wise. Thank
2: you. That's what came up. Yeah. For all three of us, nature was a sort of a door to this, thing, to that connection. So, you know, mm-hmm. different ways, but that was one of the ways that we could sort of reach that place of connectedness, a reminder of, you know, reminder of just get outside the head a little bit and more into a heart for a place of disconnection. So, well, I think that is universal among our group.
0: Yeah. Perhaps yeah. larger than that. Yeah, when you're in nature and that moment happens or these moments happen. Who has experienced that in nature? Oh, just about everybody, right? It's universal. It really is a doorway. To know that you know. Right? To be aware that you're aware of that moment. Because it, it's we we it's good to know that we know. The Buddha talked about that, right? Knowing the presence and knowing the absence. So know that you know when you're in it and know that that's it's nature as the doorway, but you went you entered the doorway. you have the capacity to enter. right? You invited yourself in okay. Anybody else?
2: Yeah, I, I, we just had uh, Christian missionaries, that, they come in, they, they live in our home with my parents. I live with my parents. And um, so I, I've been thinking so much about, you know, like these, they, when they um, feel unloved, you know, they've learned how to feel loved by God. And um, so much of when I have my anxiety going or fear, it is because I feel like, oh no, I'm not going to get the admiration, I'm not going to get the love. And I've been trying to think about, you know, I need to be able to access that and love myself in meditation, and i try, you know, and I do try, and I think I get there in some ways. But I think that's exactly what you're talking about, at least for me. Um, it would be so wonderful if I do find myself uh, behaving the way I don't want to behave because I'm running away from a fear of being unlovable. Or if Somi you know withdraws and he's my main like I, I just feel so admired and loved by him and he withdraws that sometimes and I go into like withdrawal um, and so it just it, it is so wonderful I think what you're talking about is that feeling of belonging and because everyone says you know all the suffering comes from feeling separation and I've been I hear those words I don't really understand but. Um, Yeah, just that feeling like, you know, you belong, you're doing it right. Um, Stop fighting, stop being desperate and feeling like there's lack. Because deep down, nothing can really happen to our spirit, they say. And I do, I do sometimes feel that, like, my spirit's okay. All these craziness is going on, but I'm okay.
0: Right, Yeah. right, yes. That basic goodness that sustains us, to tap in there. Yes, thank you, beautiful feedback. Yeah. Anybody else, one last one? Yes. Yeah. I think what you
5: just said, right before we did sharing right now, um, makes me wanna write those intentions down, make those intentions more real, because there's an intention in my head that isn't super concrete, and I think I need to give myself a better intention, more specific, clear, clear as kind.
0: <laughs> and it can be a small intention. It could be, uh, at night, I'm going to sit for five minutes. Right. I. That's an intention. Or 10. Tam- or I'm, I'm going to do uh, some mindful movement and stretching. I'm not just going to stretch on my yoga mat, but I'm going to bring some awareness of the body with it, right? Or I'm going to practice loving kindness when I walk in the door of someone's home or my home. Right? It can be very small in tensions. But you said it, meaning I want to live my values. I want to live what I value. It's another way of saying it. I want to live what I value. I'm going to bring some energy and some awareness and intention. I'm going to bring some momentum. And when we bring that momentum, then uh, the grace will follow. You have just listened to a recording from Insight
1: LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.